This hour, it is Tuesday, September 26th, and we welcome you to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Yeah, it's Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, live on Sportsnet 960, the fan. We got a busy hour. I uh, dare say a Flames Talk Power Hour, your daily Flames. Roundtable coming up a little bit later on this hour, but right now it's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. And we go inside hockey on this Tuesday with our NHL insider. Joins us every Tuesday, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff and dailyfaceoff.com joins us, I believe, from YVR and Vancouver International Airport. Uh, Frankie, what's going on? Oh, that is correct. Uh, accurate information, good scoop. And hey, I will say, Pat, I confirmed it with a couple not, sources. I have not had a good, I've not done a good power hour in far too long. See, this is why, hey, it's, we're almost back into the regular season. We need to get those power hours going. So I'm, uh, I'm glad that we could. I think uh, it's been since college. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad we can scratch an itch then. Um, what's so? What's mm-hmm. the itinerary? You were a uh, little Western Canadian training camp check-in starting in Vancouver. We'll get to some of your observations. What's uh, what's next for Saravali? Uh, heading to Edmonton tonight, uh, this afternoon, and then ending, uh, saving the best for last. Uh, heading to Calgary on Thursday and I'll be there Thursday and Friday and looking to spend some looking forward to spending some time around the flames. Nice. Well, what, uh, what are you, what are you tracking? What are you watching as you make your way to Calgary later on this week? With the flames and specifically yeah. or around the league with, with the flames. Like when you get here, what are some of the things that uh, you'll be interested in checking in on and uh, sniffing around on? So I think the same was also true. I just wrapped up my day with the Canucks. I'm I'm really, I want to do a vibe check and want to get a sense of what everyone's feeling, thinking, um, how the the mood is heading into the season. And I doesn't always mean anything. Um, the way a team feels, acts, talks, thinks, looks in September is not always consequential for when it matters in March, April, and May. But I think you do get a good idea of the mindset. And I think the message was really clear in Vancouver today that Ian Cole flat out said it. Like part of the reason he came to sign with the Canucks was he was told right from the GM, the coach, everyone that he spoke to on free agent day, we're sick of losing. We're sick and tired of what these last few years have been like, and they want to change it. And that's a pretty strong message to send right from the opening at camp that 
whatever happened here in the past is no longer acceptable, and they're now raising the bar and the standard here. What's your, I'm, I'm curious, from what you've heard and who you've talked to before getting boots on the ground here in Calgary, what, uh, what are you anticipating with your vibe check? I, and uh, this is just purely my perception. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like a curiosity that exists that trickles down from the players that they don't really know what to make of this team. Could be really good. Um, might go the other direction that um, I think there's been a ton of positivity from Craig Conroy and Ryan Huska. I think they're optimistic and I think that's important. Um, And I think there's like an air of, Hey, we've got to go out and prove it now. And I think that's really important too uh, and can be really healthy. So um, that's sort of the, um, I don't want to say preconceived notion, but like that's sort of the thought process that I go in with is like trying to delve into and figure out what exactly that means mm-hmm. from the flames perspective. Has it does. I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to influence your perception or, or your observations you once you get here, but it has, it does feel like a more upbeat, an, a more upbeat group. And I, I wonder if there's a little bit of confirmation bias just because we, Wonder, is it going to be more upbeat? And then you're there, you're like, oh, it feels more upbeat. I don't know, but it does. It does feel more upbeat around here. And, 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 you and know, why do you think that is? I think, I think a few reasons. I think just naturally, not like Brad Treliving uh, instilled a, a, negative, uh, a negative work environment, but you get a guy like Conroy at the top of the hockey ops department and all, all Craig Conroy do, all Craig Conroy does rather, good English, all he does is um, instill a positive environment and he just exudes positivity. So you got Conroy mm-hmm. in his spot. And, and let's be honest, you know, Daryl Sutter had a lot of success, but last year it was not a friendly, happy place to be around. You swap that with Ryan Huska, who brings a little bit more positivity, and that's one of his mantras in terms of how he wants to go about his business. I think that is a big part of it as well. You remove what was somewhat of a dark cloud last year to what it is now, and I think just naturally uh, there are some better vibes, and you get... There wasn't a lot of turnover in the roster, so there's a lot of familiarity, and there's a lot of guys wanting to prove something. So I think all of it kind of comes together for a more positive vibe around the group. I mean, hard for it not to be the case when, specifically from a coaching staff standpoint, like Daryl Sutter could find fault and and uh, something to pick at in a 14-3 to win. Like, that's just the way he's programmed. It seemed in some times, like, he enjoyed the losses more than the wins. And I don't mean from a, um, you know, competitive standpoint, but just from a teaching standpoint. And I think, you know, when you hear some of the stories from last year and you talk to the players, like they just, they had enough and needed it to change. Mm -hmm. And that that's happened now. So there's a reason for that optimism. And I also think part of the optimism comes from, a team that probably given the collection of talent that they have, the result was probably as poor as it could have been. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of almost everything that could go wrong, did go wrong in terms of the results last year that um, I think there's a, a real reason to look up and a real reason to think that 
this team has every ability to be a playoff team. But I think dangling in the back of everyone's mind is, and Vancouver is dealing with a lot of this as well, um, what if? What if we don't get off to a good start? What if our season is sunk by X date? What if, you know, all these clouds start to overwhelm you and you're like, well, does this mean that, you know, obviously core pieces that have, you know, they're in the final year of their deal. They're, they're not going to be here anymore. So I, I do think that there's a sense of like, Oh oh man, like we, we better get it together or else. Mm-hmm. And that can be really good. And that could also be um, detrimental to success. One of the, the interesting stories or, or shifts around here has been just kind of the narrative surrounding Michael Backlund. I think there's a few reasons for that. Uh, the, the groundswell that we've heard from virtually every player inside that room, either on or off the record, about how they believe Michael's the captain of this team and should be the captain of this team. And even, even since he won the King Clancy Memorial at the awards and draft in Nashville, it just feels like maybe there's been a softening of the narrative and a more positive shift in the narrative of Backland re-signing and, and extending with the Flames. But I'm curious as to what you've heard when you've checked in on that situation specifically so it's interesting that you mentioned the king clancy because that's actually for an award that doesn't really get a a lot of attention around the league and it's not something that people talk about um i was at the awards in nashville and i was sitting like six seats over from craig conroy and the rest of the flames front office and they let out an absolute roar and the first like without looking to see who it was the first part of me was like man, someone is like really jacked up about the King Clancy. And then uh, the second thing was like that stuck with me because it felt like it was more than just like celebrating a guy that's been a mainstay and staple and is is obviously a really character human being. Um, It felt like they were like, okay, this is good. This is something else that's in our arsenal something else that we can help, you know, sort of use to, to say like, this is your home. Like this is where you should be. And I don't know if it ultimately ends up meaning anything at the end of the day. Uh, Maybe it means nothing and maybe he ends up walking, but I do know that the Calgary flames really want to have him. I do know that if he were signed to a contract that extends beyond this season and heck, maybe it happens anyway, that I think he would be the front office's choice to be the next captain of the team. And I think that's deserved. Um, But that's a two part problem. Um, And when I gave you, or maybe it was the morning guys, Rustic and Rose last week, a bold prediction saying that I think at least one of these guys that's a pending UFA, they're going to take another run at and get signed before the season starts. Backlund's the guy that stands out to me. Yep. And I don't think it's appropriate to really use the captaincy as a means to try and entice someone to sign. I think that sends the wrong message, but I do think it's there for the taking if he, you know, makes the decision and comes to terms and and is able to stay that I could for sure see that happening. Yeah. It it just, it's 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 an interesting one to watch, and it feels like the optimism, and and even talking to some people around the team, the optimism that he might stay seems a whole lot higher than it was 
on April 15th or 14th when they did their locker cleanout day and, and even moving into the first few weeks and months of the off season. We'll see it. We'll see where it goes. Uh, but it would definitely be a nice start. Guys, candidly, that was like, I can't do another season of Dallas Sutter. And yep. look, trust me, there was more than a handful of them, but I think he was right yep. at the top of the list of like uncle enough. And I think having been through a lot, like he just wants to see things be different. And, and I'm not speaking for him, but that's the sense I've gotten is that he wants things to be better. And you have to walk that as an organization. You can talk it all you want, but you have to actually go out and prove it much in the same way that teams ask players to prove it on the ice with their contracts. Yep. Um, it's Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider, joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. It's funny, there's been a lot of talk about goaltending in this market um, and how it's all going to play out with three guys the organization believes are NHL-caliber goalies. I think I think you had put out something uh, maybe about a week ago or so about how that, how Colorado might be looking at upgrading or augmenting in net with some injury issues surrounding Pavel Francouz. What do we know about Colorado and their goaltending situation and some of the other potential goaltending openings around the league? Well, their GM, Chris McFarlane, acknowledged after the report that um, it's pretty likely that Francouz is going to miss some time. Uh, that said, the Avs, to me, are not in the market for a big-name, big-spender uh, they don't have a lot of dollars to allocate to it. It's not going to be a, you know, a fancy acquisition if they do fill the post. And uh, look, Georgiev was a workhorse last year. He played 60 plus. Part of that was out of necessity. Part of it was it seems like he's pretty comfortable and a guy that had been longing for more for a long time. Um, I think they like the security that Francois provides, and they especially liked it in the playoffs when he was called upon during their cup run. Um, but assets, dollars, they're all limited. So they, I, I could foresee them being in a situation where they decide to take a flyer on one of the lingering free agent goalies, like someone like a Yaroslav Halak comes to mind for me, um, that is – you know, ready to go, or they could grab someone off the waiver wire, which by the, you know, the nature of the position, third goalies, like mm-hmm. most teams are only keeping two. Some, I, you will see a couple teams, I think, not want to put a guy on waivers this year um, and avoid that conversation. So uh, the waiver list for goalies, especially at the beginning of the season, is always one to watch. You as you depart Vancouver, you talked about some of your observations around that camp and what you've seen oh, by there. The way, yeah, sorry, uh, not to cut you off, but Spencer Martin is a guy here in Vancouver that I think the Canucks are actively looking to move. So okay. whatever that ends up looking like, I think they want to have two goalies that two younger guys play the bulk of the games in Abbotsford. So Spencer Martin, after trading for Casey DeSmith, add him to the trade block. Okay. What uh, what's your read on Elias Pettersson after being on the ground in Vancouver? Seems incredibly comfortable. Um, I think he's totally fine with this playing out. He's got some security. He's earning ten and ten and a quarter million dollars this year. Um, that puts him at twenty five million in career earnings and a real opportunity to bet on himself. And it's not just because of the security that he has, but it's also because. 
I think when the Canucks and and Pedersen's camp have had talked this summer, the general parameters were pretty far south of the the stratosphere that Pedersen and his camp believe that he's in, and rightfully so, coming off of a 102 point season. Um, he needs to go out and prove that he can do it again and vault himself, maybe even take a step forward and vault himself into that category of the 11 to 11 and a half million dollar player. Um, and in the meantime, if that doesn't happen and he stays the same or, or, or should I say takes a step back, regresses, well then probably the same deal that he had on the table from Vancouver will still be on the table this time around. So I look at it from his perspective and say that things can only get better from here. But I also feel like this is a player that's really just beginning to scratch the surface. Where are we on kind of the big three remaining restricted free agents? There's the two-headed monster in Anaheim with Trevor Zegras and Jamie Drysdale, and then Shane Pinto in Ottawa. Those are the three big names that don't have contracts as we sit here on September 26th. What are we hearing there, and, and what, how, where, where are these situations moving? First off, shame on you for not focusing on Tim Bernie in uh, Columbus. No, I'm just kidding. He's also a restricted free <laughs> he's, agent. He's, a, he's the last one. No, no, no knock on Tim, but he may not be of the same caliber. He, he, he's also actually actively skating in camp, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, trying to earn a deal. Um, with regards to Drysdale and Zegris, um, both those guys are looking at um, – Bridge deals. Zegris, uh, it's, it was abundantly clear after Troy Terry signed that uh, they were not going to be willing to go to the, the AAV that he was looking to be at on a long-term deal. Um, Pat Verbeek is a grinder. Uh, Jamie Drysdale is coming off of that season where he only played eight games due to injury. And two years ago, we're talking about this guy as one of the bright young stars in the league. And he's got some of that prove it to do this season. So um, my guess is they'll find some kind of resolution in the next 10 days. Um, I'd be surprised to see it linger on beyond that. But I also think for young guys that um, really need to continue to progress and develop, you want to, even if it's just training camp and preseason games, you want to get those guys back within your team and on the ice. I think that's really important. So, um, and then of course that leaves us Shane Pinto and, and the Sens have very little cap space. They've been uh, talking to a number of teams about uh, moving out a contract. Matthew Joseph is the target. Um, easier said than done because of the term that he has left on his deal. If they can find a way to move him, uh, then that obviously opens up the cap space for Pinto. But in the meantime, they're going to be patient. I think he's probably somewhere between two and a half to three million bucks a year. And he, I think he's an important part of what they're trying to continue yeah. to build. You need quality depth pieces like him further down your lineup. And I think he's got an ability to reach even higher than that. So um, not, they're not going to be moving him, trading him. Um, I'd be surprised if that's the case. They're just trying to make room, and sooner rather than later would be good. Uh, have a uh, safe flight into Leduc or, or Edmonton, and uh, we'll see you down here. In, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you have uh, have some cab money. Uh, we'll see you down here later on this week. Thanks, Frankie. Isn't, 
Isn't that the worst part? Is like you go to Edmonton and you still land and feel like you're only halfway between Calgary and Edmonton. Yeah, you might as well just land in Red Deer. <laughs> uh, yeah. See you earlier. See you later this week, man. Thanks for this as always. Have a good one. You too, Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk, and on this Tuesday, he joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. You're locked on Flames Talk only on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. All right, this hour rolls on on a Tuesday. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. A little recovery day for the Flames after three games and two nights. A little split squad game on Monday, which the Flames did indeed splitting. 5-3 loss at home to Seattle. 3-2 shootout win on the road in Seattle. And, of course, that 10-0 drubbing of Vancouver to open the preseason on Sunday. Now, Daily Flames Roundtable. We welcome in the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, to uh, join the conversation and lots of uh, conversation to go around after we've seen two preseason games with our own eyes. Um, with with the two games that we've seen, weren't able to see the other side of the split squad game in Seattle on Monday night, of course. But guys, anyone, and, and Wes and I talked a little bit about it in the first hour today, but just uh, let's reset. Who's jumped out? Anybody that has bettered their case for you in the first three days or first two days of preseason action, the first five days of training camp action? Sometimes you ask me questions that are difficult to answer. This isn't one of those times. And it could become more complicated as training camp and the preseason progresses. But for me, it's Matt Coronado. And it's an easy answer because not only did he score a hat trick and add an assist, I thought he looked like a 200-foot player, a guy I, I can't say that he's ready for the NHL because of the level of competition that him and the Flames faced in that game against the Canucks. It was more of an AHL team than an NHL team. But, hey, the rest of the Flames were playing against that team too. And he's the only one who had three goals and an assist for four points. He was a standout in that game for sure. Uh, there were a bunch of standouts in that game for me, but he would be at the top of the list. Last night's game against the Kraken, uh, not as many standouts. We talked a lot about uh, Etienne Moran, uh, an 18-year-old who isn't going to play in the NHL this season. I think that's safe to say. So I think that maybe puts uh, it in perspective how different those two games were. But, guys, for me, it's it's Matt Coronado by a, a country mile. Yeah, Coronado is the the slam dunk answer in the sense of nobody has done more in the first five days of training camp to strengthen their grip on an opening night spot, at, at least in my opinion, and obviously in Derek's as well, than Matt Coronado has. I'll give you guys two more that, that kind of stick out for me. One is Jordan Osterley. I, I think had the inside track, at least for as long as Oliver Shillington was away from the team at that sixth defense spot and, and has done nothing so far to allow the competition to catch up to him has done nothing so far to, to send a message. Hey, I, I might not be ready to be an opening night guy. You know, everything we've seen and especially Sunday night from, from Jordan Osterley indicates that he's ready to take advantage of that opportunity and be the sixth defenseman for this flame squad. And, and the other one that jumps out to me and Pat and I talked a little bit about this already, but I think in my opinion, 
Dan Vladar had to play his way off the opening night roster. This was a guy that everyone had more than penciled in anyways. But I do think last night is significant to start the preseason with a 35 save performance is a a real sign from Dan Vladar. Hey, sorry, Dustin, but I'm not giving up this spot that easy. And so he's a guy while we all expect him to be on the opening night roster, that has really strengthened that case for me too. Um, I, the one that jumps to mind right away is, is Klapka and with the Jacob Pelche injury, which I'm not feeling the greatest about right now. Hopefully they get some good news when he gets the, the doctor's checkup and the imaging done. I don't know if it's done yet as we're talking right now or not, but at some point on this Tuesday, he was going to get some imaging done and then they'll have a better idea and we might find out more Wednesday, but I'm not feeling the greatest about him coming back right away. Uh, just as a determination as to how long until he's back. But I think that, losing somebody at least for the time being um, that would be getting a lot of preseason games and was pinned in by most of us on the opening day roster and lineup. I think it opens the door potentially for a forward and the guy that has, I think done the best job of beating on that door going all the way back to young stars and Penticton is, is Klapka second really strong training camp so far from him. He was really strong in 2022, including young stars so far a year later, Penticton in the early stages of main camp, he's been a standout. He plays with skill. He's got speed. Plus he's got this imposing frame. He's one of the biggest humans period that is in the NHL conversation. So he, He's he's really impressed me. I think he's going to be a late member of training camp at the very least. He strikes me if he doesn't make the opening day roster as a guy who is in that final round of cuts and gets plenty of looks in the preseason and maybe at worst puts himself in the mix to be an early season recall. I really like them guys and uh you know the first time you're like okay, first camp, what what is this? Now he looks a little bit more like a refined North American pro, even more so using his size and strength and imposing frame to his betterment. I've really liked what I've seen from Klapka. I've liked Klapka. I'm not sure I've loved him as much as you, Pat. But with that said, when you're calling a game, it's really difficult to kind of focus on an individual player or individual players because you're following the puck around. So you've probably had uh, an easier time evaluating guys, including Klapka, but he's got great size, moves really well for a big guy and has done a lot of good things. And Wes, I really liked uh, the other guys that you brought up as well. I thought Jordan Osterley had an outstanding game against the Canucks. And again, I'm looking forward to seeing him against a little bit uh, better competition. Now, with that said, he's an NHL veteran. He's been there. He's done that. Uh, I like the way he skates. I like uh, how he's not afraid to get involved, uh, jumping up into the rush and uh, doing something offensively. But I think he's been pretty sound defensively. But again, you take that with a grain of salt uh, against the Abbotsford more so than the Vancouver Canucks. And then the other one uh, that I, I quite like as well is the second guy you, that you brought up. And, and the reason is, I just think when you look at uh, potential spots that are available here and where the training camp and preseason battles are, I think that's uh, another area where I think we're all focused on uh, during the preseason. But again, coming back to Matt Coronado, guys, Yegor Sharangovich for me has been okay so far. Now, 
we'll see where he goes from here once he maybe gets uh, his timing down and builds some chemistry with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto. But if uh, you're looking for a right shot, right winger who can score to play with those two guys, uh, Sharon Govich uh, is certainly one option, but I think Coronado is as well. I'm probably in the Klapka camp on this one. And by that, I mean, you know, Pat thinks Adam Klapka is probably a sort of end of training camp cut for the Calgary Flames. And and I feel this same way about the last guy that I'll mention. But Jordan Osterley, that object in your rearview mirror is Ilya Solovyov. And I really think he's making a case. Yeah. He's been good. Didn't get a chance to see him in the Seattle game, but by all accounts, was one of the the guys who played really strong. The game in Seattle, I mean, uh, was really strong. Hey, it's only three of eight preseason games. There's still Ooh, five, five more to more. go. <laughs> I mean, they're the best. They're going to be every. They're, they're just as important. Nope. Let's hope not. Nope, there sure aren't. <laughs> Thank the. Thank the maker for that. Um, but, hey, they're just as important as regular season games. Tune in on Sportsnet 960, the fan, for more preseason action. Um, Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Wes, Pat, on this Tuesday. Um, we saw Michael Backlund make his 2023 preseason debut in the loss to Seattle Monday. He had a goal and two points in the loss. And, I don't know, we, we talked to Frank Saravalli about this earlier this hour, Derek, and just wanted to get your thoughts, both of you, on this one. It just feels like the narrative on Michael Backlund has really turned since mid-April when it wasn't a very positive narrative. Now here we are in late September, and it feels like the optimism level about him re-signing is much higher. I I believe that the optimism should be higher because I believe that he's come around, not come around, but he's had a bit of a change in his thinking and has softened on his approach. I think... Some of what happened in Nashville when he won the King Clancy and some of the gestures the Flames went out of their way to to do for him in the lead-up to him winning that award really made a difference kind of emotionally and sentimentally for him. And I think that went a long way. Obviously, the coaching change went a long way for Michael as well. And, and I think he's very open to being convinced to stay here and then there's the whole captaincy conversation. So I, I, I really do believe that there is a reason why the optimism has changed and, and the narrative has changed because I think he has maybe had a little bit of a change of heart. So why do we think that is? And why are we talking more positively about the entire Michael Backlund situation now compared to even a, a month or a month and a half ago? Well, for me, there are a few reasons. It actually starts with Murray Edwards in the ownership group for a number of different reasons. Number one, you know, Murray and the guys can't do anything about it being cold in Calgary during the winter. They can't get a new arena built by October 11th, but there are some things that they can control. One of them is making coaching change. I don't think we're having this conversation if Daryl Sutter is still the head coach of the Calgary Flames. So that's first and foremost. But also, there are things that uh, owners can do to make it more comfortable for the players. And again, there's only so much you can do with Scotiabank Saddledome, but you know, for example, the the golf tournament that the guys had up in Kananaskis, that would be a thing. And, you know, just some creature comforts, uh, the charter that they fly on, the hotels that they stay in, just doing little things, medium sized things and big things to, to make it better for the guys. But again, the coaching change is the big one. And That's costing the ownership group quite a bit of money. So that would be one thing. Number two, I think that new general manager Craig Conroy 
has shown an incredible amount of patience here. He could have panicked. And I'm sure that there were 31 other general managers hoping that he would and hoping that when these pending UFAs weren't ready to sign in the middle of the summer, that he would maybe trade them uh, below market value. But Conroy hasn't done that. He's been very patient, allowing the guys to get back to Calgary and to see and to feel that things are going to be different. And I feel like things are different. And I, I think the guys do as well. And the number three would be Ryan Huska. And I guess this uh, kind of falls in line with numbers one and two because the ownership group uh, was willing to uh, rubber stamp a coaching change and and pay for that coaching change. And Craig Conroy hired Ryan Huska as the head coach. And I think that the guys uh, are re-energized because, and again, Daryl Sutter did a lot of good things with the Flames and in the NHL, but the, the team needed to make a change behind the bench. They did, and I think the guys like Ryan Huska, and they respect him, and they're excited about playing a new system and a new style of hockey and, and having someone who will be hard on them when he needs to be, but uh, will also give them a pat on the back once in a while. So I think those three things for me, guys, have really opened Michael Backlund's eyes to thinking, hey, and I've spent the first 15 seasons of my career here. I like the city of Calgary. I've got uh, pretty deep roots in this community, uh, especially with the award that he won last summer. And I think he's looking at this Flames team as one that can, A, be competitive, and B, is probably going to have a lot more fun coming to the rink and playing hockey this season than they did last. The reason for me that we're talking about a uh, uh openness from Michael Backlund to extend his stay in Calgary is pretty simple. I think he's feeling the love. I I really do. I think he was feeling the love as Pat has said from the organization dating back to, you know, the way they treated his King Clancy win at the NHL awards. I know he was feeling the love from fans at the airport when he landed here and was waiting for his luggage at the start of the season and and was hearing from people, we hope you stay. And I think more than anything, and I know this because I've talked to him about it, he's really feeling the love from his teammates who keep coming out and saying he should be the captain. We heard it from Nikita Zadorov. We've heard it from Jonathan Huberto. Rasmus Anderson told me the other day, and I'm paraphrasing here, but something along the lines of everyone in Calgary knows that if Bax gets a contract, he's our next captain. And I really do feel like Michael Backlund's feeling that love and knows that he's not going to get that in the same way somewhere else. And I think that in combination with what Derek talks about, specifically sort of that fresh atmosphere around the rink, I think Michael is starting to feel like the grass wouldn't be greener somewhere else. Yeah. It's uh it's a positive development. And I think that um, I think it's got the potential if it ends up going the way a lot of people hope it's got the potential of being a domino thing where maybe other guys are like, you know what, if, if Michael's staying, maybe that's a, and, and they've, he's going to be our captain here for the next number of years. Maybe I, maybe I want to stick around too. So I think there's a potential domino effect, but I also just think it's, it's a, a win for the organization for a guy to go from, I want to win a Stanley cup. And I have no idea on April 14th or whatever it was to maybe him re-signing and then getting the C slapped on his shoulder. 
that that's a that's a nice narrative shift. It's a nice mini win for the organization or a big win. I don't even think it's a mini win, a big win for the organization. So I, I just and he still plays at a high level. He's coming off the best year of his career. Uh, he's starting training camp with a line he loves to center with Manjapani and Coleman. Uh, I, I just think it would be another step in the uh, good vibes that we've talked about from this year. I, I hope it happens. Obviously, we know I hope it happens. But I also think as objectively as I can be, that it'd be, it'd be, it'd be big for the organization. I really do think that. So I hope that the optimism that we're all feeling, I hope that the optimism that you're getting from different people that we all trust is on track. And we, we see it coming to fruition. Like it seems to be on track to be. Yeah. And Pat, you talk about the domino effect and I'm not sure what domino is going to fall first for the flames, but I also suspect it has something to do with the fact that, other guys are feeling better about uh, how it feels around the rink these days. They've got so many important pending UFAs. And one thing that Michael has been consistent in saying is that he wants to play for a competitive team. And let's face facts. If Elias Lindholm's not here and Nona Hannafin's not here and Chris Tanev's not here and Nikita Zadorov's not here or you know, two or three of those guys aren't here, how competitive are the Flames going to be in a tough Pacific division? Probably not that competitive. So I've got a pretty good feeling about almost all of their pending UFAs at this point in time. I'm guessing that if Michael Backlund stays, he does as well. It not it starting to feel, guys, like it would be a surprise if Backlund wasn't signed before the start of the season? Yep. Or if somebody else was named captain, not named Michael Backlund. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I think you'd you'd be pretty surprised by either development yeah. and, and just what that signifies. You know, we, we went from the question in, in May and June being, why does everybody want out of Calgary? Well, that narrative really starts to change if Michael Backlund says, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Yep. And the funny thing is, we thought we knew the answer to that question, but even after they made a coaching change, you still had uh, a lot of hesitation from some of these pending UFAs. So then I know I was left wondering, well, really? Yeah, are there other issues that we don't know about? And maybe they just wanted to to see and feel that things were going to be different. And I think so far they have been. Thank you, Wilsey. Talk to you on Wednesday. Okay, guys. Have a good night. Derek Wills. Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg, there's your Daily Flames Roundtable as we start to wrap things up on this hour of Flames Talk. little recovery day from the Flames on a Tuesday. And uh, I was just looking at, sorry to distract you, you. I was just looking at Nazem Kadri on TV and the new Heritage Classic jerseys. I think they both look good. I don't care what you say, grumpy Twitter people. I I think they both look sharp. Albeit, I think the Flames look sharp. I like them. I like them. I think it'll be very aesthetically pleasing if you're at Commonwealth Stadium or if you're not at Commonwealth Stadium and watching on Sportsnet. I still think it'll look very sharp on television or in person. Yeah. I'm on board. I'm you, looking forward I, to being there. I got, I got no arguments. Lots of people on Twitter did not like my well, assertion that they neat. looked sharp. 
I mean, what would we be doing on Twitter if we weren't arguing? That's a fair point. Uh, recovery day Tuesday for the Flames. Back on the ice Wednesday. They're going to morning skate at Windsport and then head off to Winnipeg to take on the Jets. So the uh, morning skate, not in your regular rank with, uh, and as we know, Windsport and YYC are right next door. So a quick yeah. little hop. You might as well walk. The old Winnie Winnie Whammy. And then you're off to uh, yeah the Winnie Winnie Whammy. Yeah, day trip. Fly back that night. That'll be a that'll be a long day for a lot of people on Wednesday. Yeah. Flames Jets at 6 p.m. is the next preseason game for the Flames. We'll see what that roster looks like. We'll see what type of roster the Jets end up icing as well. That'll be quite interesting. Could be a good test for a few guys going uh, on the trip to Winnipeg on Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. And another home exhibition game on Friday where we'll see. I think most of the stars probably again. So that'll be fun. Uh, That'll do it. Uh, Thank you to Cam and Taylor, our producers. Thanks to Frank Saravalli and Derek Wills. Wes Gilbertson on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, and this has been the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450. Or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.